Good evening. What's up, 812? How y'all doing tonight? Yes, yes, yes. Man, I'm so excited about tonight. And uh, tonight we're going to do something a little different in this series. In fact, I just kind of felt prompted actually earlier today to kind of switch up the game plan a little bit, not for the message tonight, but how we're going to deliver the message tonight. So usually when you come in here, we have worship and then we have a teaching, you know, that, that you know, somebody gives or, you know, I'll give and, and, uh, and, and then we kind of dismiss out of that. And uh, tonight, um, I want to switch up a little bit of how we do the teaching. So typically when I'm up here teaching is monologue, which means that I'm talking and you're listening. But tonight I want us to experiment with a little discussion, a little feedback, a little bit of dialogue in the room. Now let me tell you how this is going to work because I can promise you that if you hang in here and you follow sort of the idea of what we're going with, you're going to get a lot out of tonight. If you don't, it's going to be a challenge, all right? And so this is what I mean by that. This is going to take... A lot of maturity from your part. Because anytime a communicator gives someone else the opportunity to speak up and say something, it oftentimes loses the room. And I'm going to be doing that several times. So I'm going to ask you to be mature to get locked in because this is for your benefit. Let me explain what's going on. We are in this series called In Other Words. And we are talking about how words have different meanings. And tonight we are going to talk about salvation. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be saved. We're going to talk about why do we need to be saved. We're going to talk about why is Jesus the way to be saved. And how I'm going to do this is I'm going to talk through some scripture. I'm going to give you information because let me hear, hear me when I say this. Sometimes you have to have the right information so that it leads to the transformation that you need in your life. Oftentimes, people never experience transformation in their life because they don't understand and have the right information. And tonight, I am going to spell out for you and to explain to you what it means to be saved, to call yourself a Christian, to call yourself saved, and how you get saved. And I'm going to talk about that in very detailed terms as it's laid out in Scripture. Oftentimes, you'll hear people say things like, You know, hey man, if you want to give your life to Jesus, pray this prayer, come down forward, sign your name on a cross, now you're a Christian. Not necessarily. The Bible doesn't say, come down to the front, pray some prayer, and you're a Christian. The Bible gives a detailed, laid out on what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how you actually get saved. And I would submit to you that I think there are many people in the church today that think they are followers of Jesus, but they're actually not because they don't even understand what it means to be saved. And I can tell you that Jesus tells us this about the church. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord. Many on that day that there's going to be lots of people on the day when we stand before God and they're going to say to me, Lord, Lord, God, I know you. Hey, God, what's up, homeboy? How you doing, Jesus? Yeah. Remember I went to age 12? Remember I went to 12 song? Remember I came in front and at the back of the school bash and I signed that cross? He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. But, but wait a minute, Jesus, like, like did, did we not do this and did we not do that? In fact, the scripture says this, did we not prophesy in your name, which is to preach in his name? Didn't we preach to other people about you? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Wait a minute, he is saying that people who literally cast out demons in the name of Jesus don't even know him. See, there's power in the name of Jesus, whether you believe it and whether it's in you or not. Man, I think it's the scariest verse in all the Bible. So why are we talking about this? Why are we having this conversation? It's for that reason. 
So how this is going to work is I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to kind of answer it with Scripture. And then I'm going to open it up to the room. And nobody to talk but to raise your hand. To ask questions. Maybe you have a question that has come up in this conversation. Like, no, I need to ask a clarifying question about that. And so you raise your hand. And Jacob and Trey are going to have microphones. Jacob on this side of the room, Trey on this side of the room. And he'll come over. And we might have the opportunity to answer one question, two questions, maybe three questions, depending on how big the question is. And then I'm going to move on to the next part. And then we'll ask questions again. And I'm going to move on to the next part. And we're going to ask questions again. And the idea of this is to allow you guys to get involved in the conversation. If there's no uh, questions, then there's no questions. But if there is, I want to make sure that we get those questions answered and get clarity in the room. Sometimes the person up here preaching, they may not know the questions that you are asking. So they're trying to hit the target, but they may not know. Here's the opportunity for you to get to ask those questions in the middle of a message. We're going to try it. Y'all ready? All right. There we go. All right. I need some motivation. I need to be pushed a little bit. All right. Here we go. So tonight we're talking about this word salvation. And salvation means deliverance from sin and the consequences of it. What we know is that there's sin in this world and there's consequences that come from sin. And salvation is deliverance from sin and the consequences of it. What I can tell you from the Bible is that the consequence of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, eternal separation from God. This is the conversation of heaven and hell. And so at the very beginning of this whole idea, you need to understand what salvation is. It is deliverance from sin and from its consequences. And so I want to answer this kind of first question for you, and then I want us to, you know, ask some questions. Here it is. Why do we, why do we need salvation? Why do we need salvation? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, the Bible says that God created us in his image. What's cool about this passage of scripture is this, is that God creates everything, and he says at the end of each day, and it was good. That it wasn't tainted by anything. Everything in the world was just as he had wanted it to be. And after he created man, he said, and it was very good. Everything was in harmony with one another. There was no death. There was no cancer. There was no disease. Everything was as it was supposed to be, as God designed it to be. And man would have lived forever, never to have experienced death had Genesis 3 not had happened. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve are in the garden and God placed them in this beautiful garden and he told them they could eat from any tree in the garden, but they must stay away from this one tree in the middle of the garden. But of course, what are Adam and Eve doing? They're hanging around the one place that Jesus told them not to hang out with. Can I get an amen? amen. Isn't that what we do sometimes, right? We're hanging out in the, next to the thing that Jesus told us to stay away from, the thing that brings us the most temptation. They were curious, and we know that Satan tempts them. He takes on the form of a serpent, and he tempts them. And how he tempts them is a unique way. He doesn't tempt them like, doesn't that fruit look good? You should probably eat some of it. This is how we tempted them. He said to them, listen, listen, listen. God doesn't want you to eat from this fruit because God knows that if you eat from this fruit, you're going to be like him. Wait a minute, are you saying that I can be the God of my own life? I can be God just like God is? Yeah, that's right. God is holding out on you. This is what sin does. This is the lie that Satan tells us in this world. Hey, God is holding out on you. Hey, if you follow God, look, he's here to take away your fun. If you follow God, he's here to push you down. If you follow God, he's here to, he's here to, to blow up your world. And God is saying, no, listen, listen. I'm telling you these things because when you follow me, that's where you truly find life. 
Because the way that Satan tells you leads to death, and that's exactly what happened. Adam and Eve ate from the from, the, uh, from the, the tree in the garden, and the Bible says their eyes were open, and sin entered the world. And as a consequence of sin, there is things that were laid out. And as a part of the consequence for sin, we know that death was a part of that, of that consequence. So even today, as people die, we know that that is a consequence of, this, of the sin. In fact, Romans 6.23 says it like this. The wages of sin, or the penalty of sin, the penalty of sin is death. Not just physical death, as we know we all physically die, but spiritual death. That literally every person is spiritually dead. And so because of that, what the Bible teaches us is that sin entered the world through Adam and every single person carries the sin nature because we are all descendants of Adam. That as people reproduced the sin nature is carried into the next person to the next person to the next person. And every single one of us are a descendant of Adam and Eve, which is why every single one of us carry the sin nature. You say, this is, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. This is really significant. I want you to remember that because I'm going to come back to that here in a few minutes. So we are sinners by nature. And what that means is, is that like I have a two-year-old at home. I never have taught my two-year-old how to lie. I've never taught her how to be selfish. I've never taught her how to be defiant and disobedient and disrespectful to her parents. And she's two years old and she already knows how to do that. How does she know how to do that? Because sin is hardwired in her. It is a part of her sin nature. We are not only sinners by nature, the Bible tells us, but we're also sinners by choice. That we choose to sin. That every person in this room has chosen to disobey God. Every person in this room has chosen to walk in disobedience and rebellion to God, including myself. Let me give you an example of that. How many of you in here have ever lied before? (laughs) Two hands or something. You know what I'm saying? Right? Like I could keep going, but the truth is, is that every one of us have sinned in our life, that we have been disobedient. And this sin thing is a big problem. In fact, the Bible gives us all-inclusive language. It wants us to know and understand that we are all sinners. This is what it says in Romans chapter 3. Listen to these words. This is the description of every man and woman who does not know Christ, who has never experienced salvation. This is because we are spiritually dead. Now let me ask you this question. What do dead people do? What can they do? They can't do anything. They just like lay there. And this is what he's saying. He said, we are literally spiritually dead. And this is what he says in Romans 3. There is no one righteous. No one. Not me, not you, none of us. There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Uh, This is saying apart from God, apart from Jesus, this is who we are in our characters, a part of our sin nature. All have turned away. They have altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their tongues are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Look at our country right now. People's feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way in the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He goes on later in Romans 3.23 and says this, All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. And this is a big problem because spiritually dead people can't do anything about it. 
In fact, the Bible describes us not only as spiritually dead because of this sin issue that we had, but that we have, but the Bible even goes a step further and explains sort of the condition we're in. And this is why I give grace to people who don't know Christ. This is why I have patience with people who don't know Christ. This is why when I see, when I'm talking to someone and I know that they're a drug addict, I'm not like, bro, you should quit this, no, no, and I'm getting all on to them about it like I'm all holy and mighty because I know that I'm a sinner, that I'm no better than them. And if it wasn't for the grace of God and for God's salvation, our key word, his deliverance, I would be in the same place that he or her are in. None of us are perfect. No Christian is perfect. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus, and therefore we wouldn't be a Christian to begin with. We're sinners by nature and by choice. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says this, The God of this age, referring back to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that, is, that, that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Listen, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They don't know, they don't understand. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing or dying, spiritually dead. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness. That's why when you go to school or if you talk about Christianity and people are aggressive against you. I don't get upset when people are aggressive against Christianity and people are aggressive against me because I'm a follower of Jesus. Because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They're blind to it. The message of the cross is foolishness to those that go on without believing. And this is the condition of every man and every woman apart from Jesus. Now before we go any further, are there any questions? Anything that needs to be clarified, something that popped in your head, you know what I'd like? I'm curious about that. The next two sections will invoke more questions. We got one right here. <clears throat> Run, hurry, hurry. JK. <laughs> all right, here we go. What's your question? So, um, you were saying that we're all born, I mean, like we all have that sin in us. So does that make us not born good, but born like bad? That's right. So that's a great question. So he says, he says, because we have this born in us, does that mean that we are all not born good, but we're born bad? That is exactly right. That every single one of us are born not good. We're all born bad. We're all born evil. We're all born with this in us. We are sinners by nature. We are born into it. We are born spiritually dead. This is why when Jesus is having the conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and he asks him about how to be saved... And Jesus responds and he says this, unless someone is born again, he cannot be saved. Well, wait a minute. How can somebody be born again, Nicodemus says. How can he, somebody be born again? How can they go back into their mother's womb? No, no, no. I'm not talking about being born again in your mother's womb. That's born of water. I'm talking about being born of spirit. That you had a physical birthday, but your spirit was dead. And at some point, your spirit must be awakened. It must come alive. And when you give your life to Jesus, you're, you are born again. You, you have been born spiritually. So on June 10th, 1981, I was born into this world physically. On July 14th, 1998, I was born again spiritually. Make sense? And this is significant that you understand this about salvation, that the Bible describes us as being dead apart from God, spiritually dead. 
This is significant why we say, man, I want to share my faith with other people. This is why I care that my friends know about Jesus because they're spiritually dead and apart from him, they cannot have life. And at some point, our fear of sharing our faith uh, has to be overcome by our burden. That our burden for our friends has to be greater than our fear of sharing our faith with them because this is the message that the world has to hear. All right, let's move on. Here's the next one. Oh, you got a question? Go ahead, go ahead. So this is a little bit morbid, but we're all born, like, sinful. So what about children who aren't saved that pass away young? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great question. That kind of gets out of, the, out of this, this conversation of salvation into what we call age of accountability. I don't want to hunt this rabbit too long. Uh, because we got, well, I want to stay focused on this. But what I would say to that is, is that um, I don't know. What I would say to that is, is that this is why it's important for everybody to know Jesus. Like for people in other countries, and you're like, well, what about this random tribe over in Africa, and they don't know Jesus, and what about them? Well, I'll tell you what about them. We have to go tell them. If they are not responsible for knowing Jesus, because we haven't went and told them, why would we go and tell them and then make them responsible? The Bible tells us to go and tell them because they're already responsible, because they're spiritually dead. They were born that way. And so I would say this about, uh, about babies. You know, what about babies or small kids who die? Are they in heaven or are they in hell? I personally believe in the age of accountability that when someone dies and, uh, and, and they don't understand, I believe that God's uh, grace covers them in that and that they do go to heaven. And the only scriptural reference that I can really point to that kind of has more firm foundation on that is in 2 Samuel chapter 12 where David's son dies and he's a baby. And he says, he says as he prays, he says, I'm going to go to be with you in paradise. And the word there is heaven in the Old Testament. And so he's making this statement that he's going to go be where his son is. But the truth is, is that I don't know fully what the answer to that question is. But I trust that God is good, God is loving, God is just, and God is going to make the right decision, whatever the right decision is in that moment. So let's move on. Next, next question. Yeah. No, I, I'm going I'm to move on. We'll, we'll hit another question here, here in a minute. We've got to keep going. So here we go. We'll answer, ask some more in a minute. Why is Jesus the only solution for salvation? Why is Jesus the only solution for salvation? Remember what I told you that we were all born with a sin nature? What did, how does the Bible say that Jesus was born? The Bible says Jesus was born of a virgin who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is significant. You cannot believe in Jesus as the Savior of the world and understand salvation if you do not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. If you say, well, man, I believe in Jesus and I believe in all that stuff, but you know what? Like, I'm not really into this whole, like, virgin birth, Jesus turned water to wine, all this miracle stuff. I'm not really, no, no, listen, listen. If the supernatural exists and supernatural things can happen, and Jesus was born of a virgin, so he did not carry the sin nature. Jesus was just like Adam and Eve were in that he walked on this earth and he did not carry the sin nature, yet he was still tempted with sin in the same way that Adam and Eve were. The difference is Jesus did not fall into sin. In Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 it says this, Jesus was tempted in every way yet without sin. He's tempted as all of we are so we can understand our temptations, but he did not fall into sin. This makes him the perfect spotless sacrifice. What this also makes him is it makes him someone who would have never died. That Jesus had life because he did not have the sin nature in him and he did not sin. 
So Jesus wasn't murdered. Jesus gave up his life. He gave it up. He surrendered it. Pilate is talking and he's like, hey, listen, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know he, he's talking to Jesus. All this kind of stuff, and, and Jesus is like, look, here's the deal, bro. Like, I'm giving my life up. At any time, Jesus could have called legions of angels down and stopped the whole entire fiasco and took himself off the cross. So when Jesus goes to the cross and he dies on the cross, he did not die the death that he deserved because Jesus didn't deserve death. Jesus deserved life. So when he died on the cross, he didn't die his death. He died our death. He died. He, the sin of the world was on his back, the Bible tells us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, that the sin of the world was placed on his back, your sin and my sin. And when he died on the cross as the perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice, he took away the sins of the world, that he substituted his life for your life. So that now you don't have to spiritually die because Jesus died the death that you deserved. And so now when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we have the life that he should have had because he substituted his life for you and for me. So why is Jesus the only way to salvation? Because he is the only one who paid the price for your sin. He's the only one who made the way for you to be restored to God. It's the reason Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the only way. And people say, well, what about people that believe this? And what about people that believe this? Let's say you're in your high school and you are in playing some sport. And if you don't play sports, just go with me and pretend like you play a sport, your favorite sport or whatever. And let's say that you win the state championship. And they decide, and, and all of a sudden, like, no one's cheering for your team. They're cheering for the other team. They, they deliver the trophy to the team that lost to you. And, and they give them the championship rings. You'd be like, what the heck is going on? Jesus brought us the victory. And when we go and worship in other places, other things and other people and other whatever, what we're saying is, yeah, Jesus, I know you have the victory and you won, but I'm not going to give you the credit. See, Jesus deserves the credit because Jesus is the one who died and paid the price. The Bible says God demonstrated his love. How did he demonstrate his love? In this. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners and dead, Jesus came into the picture and he provided a way for us to be saved and to be, and to, and to, and to be raised to life in him. So Romans chapter 5 verses 12 says this. Therefore, now listen to this. This is so good. Listen to this. This is how the scripture all comes together. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through the one man Adam and death through sin... So death spread to all men because all have sinned. So sin entered through the one man, Adam, and death because of that sin, and it spread to all men because we all have it by nature. Then notice what it says in verse 15. But the free gift, salvation, is not like the transgression or the sin. For if the transgression of the one that many died, so the transit, because of the transgression of Adam, many have died, it says this. How much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound in many? Just as death entered through the one man, Adam, Jesus came on the scene to bring eternal life through the one man, Jesus. 
that Jesus accomplished what Adam could not accomplish. Adam fell and Jesus did not. And this is the picture. And so we're all either seeds of Adam or we're seeds of Jesus following underneath that pattern in order to have life. Are there any questions about that part? We got a couple around the room, one here. So like if Jesus, Talk loud. Hold on. If, oh, there it is. Um, You're good. If Jesus, like, if he never sacrificed himself, would he still be living? Like if Jesus never sacrificed himself, what? Would he still be living today? Would he still be living today? This is what I would say. Yes. Jesus gave up his life. He surrendered his life to that. What we know about Jesus is Jesus was 100% God, Jesus was 100% man. Jesus was a God in the flesh. That's what the scripture teaches us. And what I would tell you is that Jesus, it was because of, Jesus died, the sin of the world was put on him. It's why when Jesus was on the cross, he says, it is finished. The bondage of sin was no longer. The victory was his. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. That's where Adam and Eve fall. Right after God laid out the consequences of sin, death, and all labor pains and the things that he laid out, this is what he said in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. He says, and you will strike at its heel. He, he punishes Satan and, and her offspring. He will crush your head. And he's pointing to Jesus. This is called the Proto-Evangelium or the first gospel. This is the first time that Jesus is mentioned. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, we see that God promising, hey, Satan, listen, you had the victory over Adam today, and they fell in the sin, and the consequence is going to happen. And I'm giving you consequences too. You need to know your days are numbered, that I'm going to provide a way. I'm going to send someone to save the world and the picture of the whole entire Old Testament is people talking about an anticipation for this Messiah who would come to take away the sins of the world and all of the prophecies in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the one man Jesus who is the Messiah the one that everyone was looking to to save the world through him anybody else one more right here Just, yeah, she got you right. He's got you right here. It's hard to hear. Um, what is the significance of a virgin birth? Would any sexual intercourse have defiled Mary, or did God just want it to be really cool that she was a virgin? The significance of the virgin birth is, is that Jesus wasn't born with a sin nature. Because Jesus wasn't born from the seed of a man. The Bible says that she, was, she conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so because of the virgin birth, she did not carry the sin. He did not carry the sin nature like Adam and Eve did. If he carried the sin nature, then he would have been born into sin. But Jesus was not born into sin because he didn't have the sin nature. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so that's a significant thing. So he was tempted just like Adam was. He was tempted in, in major ways, but the difference is he didn't fall like Adam did. And so then when he died on the cross, he died he died for the sins of the world so that we can accept him. That's why he is the way to salvation. All right, moving on, and then we'll, uh, we'll answer a couple more questions and, and be done. So how do I get saved? That's the question. How do I get saved? If Jesus is the way to salvation, and this is, uh, and this is why we need salvation, how do I get salvation? Here it is. There's a move of God, and there's a move from us. Listen, there's a move of God and there is a move 
from us, and you need to understand both. The Bible teaches us that God is the one who calls us, he's the one who pursues us, he's the one who draws us, and he's the one who saves us. You can say, hey man, hey Pastor Derek, when you preach that message, you saved me. I never saved you, God saved you. Nobody saved you but God. And so listen, you got to understand this. When you're sitting in a service and someone is preaching and they're talking and you feel like, man, I feel like, I feel like I need to go forward. I feel like I need to sign that thing. I, I sense that God is stirring some stuff in me. You've ever felt that before? You know what I'm talking about? You know, when you feel that stirring in you, that is God, the Holy Spirit, calling you and drawing you to yourself, to himself. As a believer, you recognize it as God is prompting you to things, that he's leading you through this Holy Spirit. But as a non-believer, I want you to understand that that is God speaking to you, saying, hey, come home. Hey, I, I want a relationship with you. This is me drawing you. I meet with people all the time, and they're in all kinds of mess, or they're in jail, or they're in whatever, and I sit down with them, and their life's a mess, and they say, yeah, man, but like God showed up in this moment. I remember when God told me to do this. I remember when I was in a church service one time, and, and I knew I was supposed to go down forward, and I didn't go down forward, and, and they say those type of things, and the difference is, is that they have a choice in the matter, that we all have free will, that God will draw us, and God will call us to himself, but God will not force us to love him or accept him. He gives us the choice, the free will to accept him, to receive the salvation that he's provided for us. He will not make us love him. He will not make us serve him. And so there is this move of God. And how we respond is we respond in two ways. We respond in faith and repentance. Listen to what I'm about to say so that you can Lock in on how I define these things. You can't, there is no salvation without faith and repentance. Salvation does not happen in the life and soul of any man or any woman without faith and repentance. And that faith is anchored in Jesus. Faith is this putting your surrender, your whole life into the understanding that God is in control. It is you giving your life over to him. It is you surrendering your life to him. Jesus would say it this way. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must pick up his cross and follow me. The picture that Jesus is given in the first century, they would have understood this as, I'm picking up literally a, 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 an execution machine and I'm carrying it around with me that literally Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you must be willing to give up your entire life and everything in it because I must be preeminent and first in your life over everything else and there is no negotiation when it comes to that. There is no such thing as this patty cake type of faith. I go to church, I sing Christian songs, I come when I want to come, but my Christian faith does not affect my life. That is not biblical Christianity. 1 John 2, 6 says, for those who claim to know him must walk as Jesus did. When people look at you and they don't see the reflection of Christ in you, they don't see the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, which the Bible says you'll be known by your fruits. If they don't see that, I'm afraid that you might not be a Christian. You might have misunderstood the definition of salvation because this faith and this surrender thing is a pretty big deal. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man, Jesus, will acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others 
will be disowned before the angels of God. That this faith isn't meant to be kept to yourself and you want to keep it to yourself, that's fine. You don't have to be a part of my family. I mean, this is a full surrender. Notice what he says in Luke 14. And I'm reading you some of the passages of scriptures that have some of the strongest language to help you understand this idea of God being the most important thing in your life because you have to get this. You have to understand this. When hard times come, you don't walk away from Jesus because uh, hard times are there and because Jesus didn't take away the hard times. Jesus gave you life and eternal life. You were spiritually dead. You are now spiritually alive. You get heaven for all of eternity. You're going to have trouble in this world because this world has trouble. This world still has sin in it. It still has death in it, and you're going to go through hardship. But when you surrender your life to him, you don't care what you go through because you know that you have him. He says this in Luke chapter 14. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, listen to this. If anyone comes to me, Oh, this, listen to this. And does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Wait a minute. Did Jesus just say that if I don't hate my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, my wife, my children, if I don't hate my friends and my, even my own life, then I cannot be his disciple? Listen, listen. you got to understand the context. When someone said that they were going to be a Christian, they were disowned by their family. If you live in a Muslim country today, this is what happens. In fact, even in our country, I know people that go to this church who the moment they gave their life to Christ, their entire family disowned them because of their Islamic faith. And what he is saying here is he's saying, listen, your love for me should be so great in your life because of your surrender to me that every other relationship that you love in your life should look like hate in comparison to the unbelievable amount of love and devotion that you have towards me. Because if you love your mother and father as much as you want to love me, then when your mom and dad go against my word, you are going to follow them over me. When your boyfriend or girlfriend goes against my word and you love them and put them above me, you're going to follow them before me. Now listen, these people are listening and then he says this, listen, I know what I'm saying is tough. I know that this is a hard thing for you to hear, but listen, 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 check this out. He goes on and he says this, suppose one builds a tower, won't he first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone will see it and ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. This is what he's saying. Hey, before you go build a house or build something, don't you consider the cost? Don't you add up the value of everything before you go and actually pay for it? Otherwise, you're going to build half the house, you're going to run out of money, you're not going to have a roof and when it rains, your house is going to be destroyed. Then he goes on and he says, suppose the king is going to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider what he is able with 10,000 men to oppose him with an army with 20,000? If he is not able, uh, he will send a delegation while they're a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In other words, he's saying before uh, a king goes to war and he's got 10,000 troops and he goes and he counts the other soldiers on the other side and sees 20,000, he might want to decide to send a delegation out to try to solve this thing in a different way because 20,000 are going to beat 10,000 every day of the week. Why is he saying this? This is why. Listen. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. He's saying, listen, listen. You have to consider the cost. You have to consider what it means when you say you're a follower of mine. 
You have to add up everything. But otherwise, you'll start building this so-called thing called faith, and then something's going to happen in your life, and you're going to walk away from it, and it's going to be a half-built house. Now, listen, listen. You consider the cost before you walk forward and you sign the board. Before you walk forward and say, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus and put my faith in him, you need to consider the cost because it means that you are giving everything up in your life. You are putting him first, and does he not deserve it because of what he's accomplished on the cross? This is a big deal. That's faith. Repentance is the fact, is this idea of turning and heading in the other direction. It is that we are dead in our sin. We are walking in our own way. We are pursuing our own things. We're in rebellion towards God. And repentance is doing a 180. It literally means to make a turn, to turn around. And it is turning around and heading towards God. These are the two moves that we have as a part of salvation. There is no salvation apart from faith and repentance. It is a full surrender and it is a repentance. It is a turning from our own way to turn to God. It doesn't mean that when we turn to God, we're not going to mess up. It doesn't mean that when we turn to God, things are going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that when we turn to God that, that, uh, that we're not going to fall down at times. What it means is that when we turn to God, we say, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I'm helpless without you. Lord, I want to turn from that life. And the Bible tells us when we give our life to Jesus, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and all things have become new. Just as death entered into the world through the one man, Adam, life came through the one man, Jesus. That's the invitation that we all have. And I'm here to tell you that the most important person in my life is not my wife, it's not my daughter, it's not my friends, it's my relationship with God. Jesus is the most important thing in my life. In fact, the most important thing I can show my wife and daughter and friends and family is the fact that Jesus is preeminent, number one, on the top in my life. Because when he is, that changes everything about you. And I want to challenge you tonight with this thought. Because salvation is a big word that we throw around all the time. But are you saved? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus and repented of your sin? Have you understood, considered the cost of what it truly means to say, hey, you know what, I'm a Christian? Or are you in the group that maybe will say one day, Jesus will say, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus has interesting words when it comes to this. He says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. It's not the easy road. It's the difficult road. Enter through the narrow gate. Listen to what he says. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. That there's this gate, and then he goes on, he talks about a road. There's this road that is a narrow road. And there's this wide road, and the wide road is the popular road. It's the road that everybody's on. And he says, listen, few find the road, few find the gate, few find salvation. Because in order for them to find that salvation and go down that road, they have to count the cost and understand what it means when they say, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. But here's the deal. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope because we're dead. Spiritually dead and lost because of our sin. So we're going to close out our time tonight. Say, man, that's a heavy message. It is a heavy message. 
but it is the message. It is the message of hope. Why do we come to church? Why do we talk about Jesus? Why are we so passionate about this? Why do we give our lives up for this? Why do people sell everything they own and they go on the mission field to some crazy country somewhere that nobody knows to face all kinds of things and get rid of all of the, 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 the things in life that they have here and the material things that they have here and the, the direct TV and the video games and the, and the, and the experience and, and the food to go work with some tribe in Africa to tell them about Jesus. It is because it is the hope of the world. They believe in the deepest part of their souls that the most important thing in their life is Jesus Christ. And nothing else matters. If God calls them to do something, they're going to do it. So I want to challenge you tonight. The band's going to come up. If you're here tonight and you say, man, I know for me, I never understood it like that. I never put my trust and faith in Jesus. I never repented of my sins. I am not talking about like you messed up. I'm not talking about you stumbled. I'm talking about you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never repented of your sins. You never understood what salvation in Jesus was really about, and now you do. I don't think we can have a conversation like that tonight and not offer an invitation for you to be able to respond to that. Now, I say this often, is I'll say, bow your heads, I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray something like this after me, but I want you to say it in your own words, because at the end of the day, it's not about the words that you say, it's about the heart in which you say it in. There's not some magical formula that you say some words in a particular order and God saves you. Because it's not about the words that are coming out of your mouth. It's about the posture of your heart. It's about the posture of your heart saying, God, I surrender it all to you. God, I repent of my sins. I turn to you. God, I realize that I'm dead and I need to be alive. And I thank you that you made a way for me to be alive. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. On the cross in my place for my sins. You died the death that I should have died so that I can have the life that I don't deserve. That's what grace is. Grace means receiving something you don't deserve. You don't deserve salvation. You're dead. You're in rebellion towards God. You don't deserve it, but grace means receiving something you do not deserve. And God, in his great love for us, offers us this free gift of salvation despite our rebellion, despite our sin. This is why it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. God can forgive you for it. Because every person in this room sinned, put Jesus on the cross. And if, Jesus can, if God can forgive you for killing his son, God can forgive you for anything. And so tonight, I want to challenge you to dig deep, to look into your soul, to figure out where do I really stand with God? This is the most important question to ever answer in your life, and it's the most important decision of your life. And for some of you, I sense that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is stirring in you, as I mentioned that he often does. And he's saying, hey, I'm talking to you right now. Yeah, this message is for you. And you don't have to receive it. And you can reject it. And you have the free will to do that. And we can have a conversation years down the road when things are a mess because that's what sin does. Sin leads to a mess. And we can have that conversation. You can say, man, I remember one night back at age 12 when God met, I sensed God was moving in my life. But I would challenge you to, to not ignore the call of God. Do not ignore the voice of God drawing you and calling you to himself. Do not ignore it. Receive it. Open your heart up to it.